Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. Welcome if you're new here. What you're about to listen to is an audio version of a video forecast that I shared to my YouTube channel, Sabrina Monarch, so you can also find me there. This podcast is a place where I share interview conversations with magical and inspiring people. I share solo episodes, creative writing, and I also share these weekly forecasts that I write. So I invite you to tune in and enjoy this transmission about the astrology of the week ahead. Hey, this is Sabrina Monarch of monarchastrology.com bringing you the astrology forecast for May 11th to May 17th, 2022. Please like this video, leave a comment at some point, and let me know what you connect with. Subscribe to my channel, hit the notification bell so that you get notified when new videos come out. Remember, your comments and likes really support this YouTube channel, and I really appreciate it. So this week, we have a soul-stirring full moon lunar eclipse in Scorpio, like scrying into a black pool of water and feeling something deep inside of us turn, move, ferment, regenerate. This week, the sun will form a conjunction to the north node of the moon, each in Taurus. Venus and Chiron will be conjunct in Aries, and Saturn and Aquarius will square the axis of the full moon. The combination of these transits feels challenging, okay? Like we're being worked. People that already love the thrill of transformation, the complexity of dreams, people who love tracking psychological patterns and engaging the psyche's fascinations might find these challenges enjoyable and enlivening even. I certainly do not think challenges are inherently bad or unpleasant. They're meaningful activating and can be pivot points and generate character and action. But we may have to decide if we're game. So the game, potentially, is deeper willingness to have intimacy with ourselves and with life and in that space to confront the weird, spidery, tangled, thorny hauntings Shame can be a way that we cut off bandwidth and capacity to relate with challenging material. It's just too much, right? We don't want to look at it. But curiosity, such as why do I become chaotic in this particular way in relationship? What is this pattern? Curiosity can go a long way in being a willing adventurer in the stormier passages of life. Curiosity can also leave space for openness in our interpretation to not so readily clamp down on meaning as to stop being worked by the dream symbols in our sleeping and waking lives because we've already flattened them to something certain. Curiosity allows us to keep it open instead. Transits like this can invite us to the act of soul making, which is an active participation with the life of the soul. 
a relationship to the inheritance and the mystery within the deepest recesses of our being. So I will share about our week in more detail after a few announcements. One is that um, you can sign up for my mailing list to receive these forecasts in written version and the link to the YouTube every week. You can find me on Instagram at Sabrina Monarch. Please be mindful there are tons of Instagram scams and impersonators pretending to be me as well as other astrologers who jump into your DMs and try to sell you readings. Please don't fall for it. Be mindful. And at Sabrina Monarch and at Magic of the Spheres are my only accounts. Beware of accounts you know, that have slight misspellings or different punctuation or a bunch of photos that have just been posted, you know, all at the same time and have little engagement, etc. Like if you look closely, you can tell that it's a scam. Okay. I don't um, solicit you for DMs or <laughs> solicit you in your DMs for readings. The Evolutionary Astrology Intensive is currently in session, but being on my mailing list is a great way to find when the next one or other events, special pop-up events will be coming up. I am available for in-person readings at Emphia Tea House in Portland, Oregon. You can find the link for that in the notes. My online books are currently closed at this time, but if you are in the area or are passing through, um, it is an option to get a reading with me in person. Tea is included. It's a wonderful tea house, and I would love to meet you. There's a new episode of Magic of the Spheres out with Sol Yonison. We talked about spiritual discernment. We recorded this episode during the transit of Mercury and Pisces applying to Neptune and Pisces. And then I have been sharing chapters of an in-progress audio novella called Hungry Ghosts of Paradise to Magic of the Spheres podcast. I just created a landing page where you can find the episodes all in one place that I'll leave in the notes, but you can find the chapters where you listen to podcasts. Um, I'm really excited to be sharing this story. I've been receiving um, some feedback that this work is very activating and inspiring people to write and dream more. So, so happy to hear that. Um, this, this is like uh, an active artistic process that I'm in and I love getting to share with you all my creative writing and kind of like my subjective art, you know, artist experience. Um, so if you're interested in checking out that audio novella, you can find the links below or find it where you tune into Magic of the Spheres. And I will get back to our week now. May 13th, the sun in 22 degrees of Taurus will be conjunct the lunar north node in 22 degrees of Taurus at 12.06 a.m. Pacific. Asteroid Eros is still traveling around the speed of the sun since the last eclipse where the sun and moon were conjunct Eros. So now Eros is in 21 degrees Taurus. And I'm living for this extended sun-Eros conjunction. So good. Um, very, you know, shining light on aliveness and the erotic. And you can see um, my last forecast, you know, two forecasts ago where I was talking about the new moon eclipse I got into talking about Eros as well. And I love, you know, receiving your messages and comments and like we're putting the meaning of Eros as an asteroid into circulation. That makes me so happy. So the Sun and North Node together is like a major glow up pop star energy. It's like a person 
that, you know, has a lot of limelight on them, a person who's radiant, a person who keeps saying yes to being seen, maybe can't get enough of it, loves being recognized, venerated, adored. It is also perhaps a growing desire in the field at this time for self-recognition and um, self-expression, right? And so one way that you might feel this knocking at your door is if you are getting kind of jealous or um, coveting things that other people have, which I think is really a sign of being externally oriented, right? Like the inheritance or kind of like the joy of Taurus is to feel like excited about our own life, right? Like really in our own essence and feeling the artistry of our own being. And when we feel locked out of that, other people's accomplishments, other people's beauty, other people's magic feels so enticing. And there can be this kind of um, jealousy or pain point around that. And so if that is coming up for you, um, consider it a sign to move deeper into alignment with your own being and to discover that magic that you indeed are you know, that you're recognizing in another person's um, essence. Sometimes it's harder to see ourselves. And if we consider this, you know, sun, north node, arrow situation in Taurus, the recognition could even be at a subtle layer of self-recognition. Perhaps we have had certain eras, seasons, moments of life where we felt particularly alive. And in this effulgent state, we even liked the parts of ourselves we normally don't place value in. Right? So when you are just overflowing with a kind of appreciation and esteem for life that it doesn't bother you, that you have a blemish on your face um, or you know whatever other imperfection um, that you kind of get stuck on or hooked on, when there's something bigger inside of you that just is like, okay, it's fine. Like I am the way I am and I can be a, a work of art. With Eros, full aliveness and eroticism, the sun, creativity, and radiance, and the north node, desire for more, desire to incarnate, all together in Taurus, there may be some primal revelations to be had about self-love, where, based on our unique capacities and inclinations, do we generate aliveness? A deeper evolutionary urge of Taurus is self-esteem. It is finding the garden of our solitude, liking our own company. When we find enjoyment here rather than loneliness or exile, we also find an aspect of our own creative power. May 15th, 2022, Ceres enters Cancer, asteroid Ceres at 12.08 a.m. Pacific. So as an asteroid, Ceres constellates the myths of Demeter, Persephone, and Hades, and even the Narcissus flower, that beautiful object of fascination which captures Persephone's attention before the underworld opens up beneath her and her descent begins. A Narcissus flower, not a lot unlike the transit of the sun in Taurus, conjunct the North Node, and all that preoccupation with beauty and the self. Ceres relates to the descent and ascent journeys, the descent of finding our power in the underworld and learning how to see in the dark as Persephone does when she finds herself the queen of the underworld, and the ascent of coming back to the surface world in the light of day after we've been submerged in a deeper psychic process, right? And then coming to 
trust ourselves more deeply, knowing that we're cyclical beings and that we'll have these peaks and valleys, these highs and lows, these moments of grief and these moments of celebration. And we become less frozen in those states of thinking it's never going to end or I'll always feel this way or pining for the, you know, the other experience that we're not having, but starting to really kind of surrender into the embodiment of a cyclical kind of life. So in cancer, we might anticipate themes around attachment and bonding and the types of initiations that forming and breaking bonds are. We speak of falling in love too, which holds its own peak experiences in higher states, but also that dropping feeling of going into some deeper recesses of our own inner world that feel intense to touch, or maybe we don't access on a day-to-day level, but intimacy and bonding really brings out that vulnerability. So I'm considering the mystery initiations of grieving severed attachments and how the lessons and emotional integrations that come from the throes of this type of loss are carried through pathways to secure attachment. So just to pick up what I was saying about the Narcissus flower, I just wanted to like make a thread there between the sun and the north node, which is very self-interested, super self-interested, very like, look at me, recognize me, this is who I am, I'm in my radiance. And then this Narcissus flower that captivates Persephone and is the thing that, you know, opens up the underworld. And in the Mythic Tarot by Liz Green, for the Page of Cups, she pictures Narcissus in the myth staring into his own reflection. And in the myth, Narcissus dies, like looking into his own reflection. And Liz Green posits that this is a symbolic death, that there is a kind of... um, fullness of self-obsession or self-love that makes the space for the recognition of the other, right? And I like this interpretation because it's not cutting the story off at the kind of pathological, frozen image of narcissistic process or narcissism where, you know, a person in that space, you know, cannot be related to in a very intimate way. And what this is suggesting is more the kind of like um, thread being carried all the way through of what it means to really dive into this deeper layer of self-interest and self-love, which I think is a little bit of a forbidden fruit for some people because there's a voice that says, you know, this is self-involved, don't be this way, or like you should be focused on other people or be more in service or whatever. And so there's a way that really loving ourselves is, it, you know, can be taboo, but that when we actually go through the portal of that deepening level of love where we're actually fascinated and in love with ourselves, it's self-contained for a moment. Narcissus dies looking at his own reflection, and the idea that that's a mythic death making space for a rebirth that's a more integrated you know, capacity to love another, I think is just such a beautiful idea. And seeing the kind of series ingress right after the sun-north node combination just felt like maybe some of that is going on, like to open up to another layer of relatedness and intimacy with ourselves, you know, something is going to open up. The call to adventure, the drop into the underworld, the kind of merging with, um, 
you know, in a lot of versions of the myth, we can look at Persephone as being abducted and other versions of the myth. It's a soul contract. She actually remembers herself in the underworld. She comes into contact with um, a part of herself that, you know, is like her inheritance or it's this, this part of her, right? There's this deeper soulful, steamy union happening in the underworld. And so what in ourselves are we descending into or dropping into that's um, empowered by a certain amount of love, right? Like the more we love, the deeper we go. And so sun north node kicking this off and Taurus just feels like self-love is opening up some process to unfold. Then we have Venus in 14 degrees of Aries conjunct Chiron in 14 degrees of Aries at 5.13 a.m. Pacific, this same day, May 15th. Um, a lot is happening this day. That's, this is also the day, the day of the eclipse. But okay, Venus, Chiron, and Aries. Venus and Chiron together could relate to how we relate to ourselves and others from a place of wounding and or a place of accessing key codes beyond those wounding patterns, right? So there's the issue, then there's the breakthrough. Chiron relates to initiations and pain points. <clears throat> there could be something unfolding here about our relationship with self-assertion and or passion, you know, Aries things, and the ways we have a wounded relationship with these, such as our own desire being received as too much, by another or being repelling, or the ways we are internally uncomfortable with the sensations of our passion and instinctual ways of moving through the world, or the ways that we don't feel full access to our instincts, right? So the difference between where do you feel empowered to act on your instincts in matters of the heart, and where do you feel maybe more thwarted or like, you know, insecure about going going for what you want. So a higher octave of Venusian healing is to access this state of realizing our lovability and worthiness unconditionally, right? Like that is a, a frequency worth tuning into. A grittier on the ground side of this, you know, Venusian process is assessing relational failure and how we are participating in that. What patterns or tendencies are playing into relational circumstances that we find ourselves in that we think of as unpleasant or undesired, right? And so Venus, Chiron, and Aries feels like that kind of you know, one place that I'm getting this is just thinking in traditional astrology, the schema of essential dignity and whatnot. And so Venus and Aries, you know, things, it's Venus in a Mars-ruled sign. Where's their conflict? Where's their contention? Maybe the harmony isn't working out totally, right? And the sense of finding the alignment so that, yes, it's okay to, you know, be big and have passion and, um, know what you want, but finding kind of like the slipstream where there's efficacy, where there's magnetism, where it doesn't feel like you're always feeling thwarted or fighting or um, not getting what you want. And rather than blaming it on the environment, 
run other people, right? And these things, there can be shitty things in the environment. There can be, you know, shadow and complex things happening in other people in the environment. But then there's this deeper kind of like self-awareness of where am I hooked into it? Where am I playing into it? What is my role in the situation? And how can I change myself to navigate the reality differently? So if we can occupy a thin line between neither self-soothing away responsibility, like everything's fine, I'm totally lovable as I am, you know, like love and light, nor self-persecuting shame, you're terrible, you need to be better. A razor edge of transformation, okay, between those two extremes. When it comes to navigating not being received well, right, or not getting what we want, feeling like somehow, you know, we're trying to get something or trying to accomplish something and it feels like the opposite's happening, we're not feeling effectual in that kind of like Venus area. Um, when it comes to navigating not being received well, radiating an energy outwardly will offer us reflection from the environment. So the true self is not too much, even if it triggers other people. There's discernment there. However, our egoic patterns, defense mechanisms, and wounded parts running the show may be difficult for others to deal with, right? Um, may be difficult for ourselves to deal with. And in that sense, the rejection is twofold. We're already running patterns that come from a place of pain and wounding, and then the environment reflects it with more rejection. So we can spin in the hamster wheel or unlock Chiron ways out of it via self-awareness, Aries. So I'm talking here about energetic patterns, right? Um, I like to look at it that way. And I think that's where like the subtle magic is of how is it, you know, when I'm in a certain energetic space or kind of acting from a certain sub-personality or part and I go out into the world and there's this weird, dissonant, unpleasant experience seeing in myself like what part of me was part of that storyline, right? And if I want a different experience, starting to unravel that pattern, not in a place of trying to be perfect or like feeling shame or something like that, but just in terms of what do I actually want, right? Like if I'm really desiring connection and intimacy, then it's leaning into what is my embodiment? What are the parts of me that really facilitate that Right, And so it's not just about becoming something else. It can be very much about unraveling certain patterns. Um, and I think that this comes out especially in assertion, right? Like how we are moving into a space, how we're actively radiating energy, because that's where we're going to get feedback from the environment. And how we're then kind of digesting that and finding knowledge and maybe places to self-reflect and shift based on that. So in a higher octave sense, now or in a longer term way, this transit may relate to the courage to look at difficult aspects of ourselves instead of rigidly defending our own personality structures, which can often clash the deeper desires of the self and the soul, you know, uppercase self. Chiron relates to guides, so it could be a teacher, a coach, a mentor, a therapist, 
a wise friend, right, that we have allied with along the path of personal development, as well as our own medicine that we've cultivated. The courage of this placement, Venus, Chiron, and Aries, would be facing the subtle energetic nuances of how our personality influences our lives and relationships. The personality is superficial. It's like a vehicle for the soul. It's clothing. We like to conflate the personality or the ego with who we are, but it's not. Right? It's a reflection. It's a layer. Um, but when we can see that a way we show up in the world is not deeply authentic, that it's just a personality or a defensive pattern, we gain more freedom and agency to be self-expressed in a more dropped-in, transparent way that might actually attract the kinds of circumstances we desire instead of repelling them, right? So I think there's this way that one of the, you know, psychologies of Venus, and I think about this as a psychology of the feminine, is that when facing rejection, you know, if you're, if you identify as feminine, you, you might have a Rolodex of images that confirm this, and you can see it in films all the time. But when a woman is rejected, right, there's a sense of, what did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? How could I become better? How could I become more desirable? There must be something wrong with me, right? Not a sense of, maybe there wasn't compatibility or, you know, it just wasn't working out. There's this, like, feeling like there's something wrong. I could be better, right? And even taking it to, like, a very deep kind of soul place of, like, at a deep level, there's something wrong with me. As opposed to a more almost, like, detached, skillful analysis of the personality structures at hand in the situation. So no, at a deep level of soul, beautiful and worthy, right? But personality structures, yeah, maybe there is this way that you're showing up in an environment that is creating dissonance because you're acting from a place that's not truly authentic to you. Um, and it's creating ruptures kind of in the relational field. So as an example, one of the major patterns that I'm aware of in myself and that I've like worked on a lot is trying to present in a way to please other people to, to not be abandoned, to not be rejected. I ran this so much more intensely when I was younger and before I really had the self-awareness about the pattern and about the kind of folly of it, right? Because logically, I knew I was doing it, but I thought that it would get me what I wanted. It's like if I manicure myself to be this other person's fantasy, then I will have them, right? And what would end up happening is that the other person wouldn't like me. They'd reject me. And it would be this like, but I worked so hard. I must just really not be good, right? Instead of realizing that the energetic pattern of shape-shifting to be another person's fantasy is not actually being receptive to relating, right? Maybe another person doesn't actually want that. They want a real person. They want to be surprised and stimulated and not just um, catered to in some kind of phantomy, you know, trauma pattern way, right? And so by 
starting to learn how to unravel that pattern and let what's actually true in me, my own true desire, my own preferences, my anger, whatever's actually there in a true light layer to like push that out to the front and be more transparent, created more reception to be loved, to be in relationship. And so personality is tricky, right? Like personality is what we edit. Like when we're doing kind of personal development or working to like change our ourselves, you know, the soul has a deeper truth and kind of rhythm. It is, right? The personality is like, I'm going to be friendlier. When I go out today, I'm going to make an effort to talk to people. Um, I'm going to try that on. Like personality is very superficial, but it has real consequences in the relational field, right? There's energetics there. So what I'm talking about with this transit is recognizing that when we're having these relational failures or we're not getting what we want, or it seems like something's working at cross purposes, look at the layer of personality, right? And not taking the wound of rejection so deep of like, I'm just bad. Like, no, there's something deeper here, like within you. But what is the kind of personality quagmire on top of it? So wherever we feel disempowered to receive the love we truly desire or to express the love that we feel are places we can have meaningful transformations. If it feels like we're fighting for either of these, there may be another way that doesn't have to be so hard or a particular psychological ego pattern obstacle to address. This is like a paradigm shifting process and unwinding and unraveling. Yeah, it's worth saying too, people will defend their personality structures. You know, it's an ego pattern to just be like, no, but this is the way I am. Um, and so when I think about Aries and like confrontation, we get feedback from the field when we're being annoying or when we're crossing other people's boundaries, right? But it takes introspection to be able to recognize the subtleties and the nuances and to like understand the threads. And I think that having a benevolent figure who will tell you, you know, meaningful truths is kind of like why we go to coaches or mentors where it's like, you know, help me see something. And there's a willingness internally to receive feedback. And I think that there's ways um, with ego to, you know, not want that feedback, right? So there's a decision internally to be like, no, I, I want to know. I want to understand myself and I'm willing to change um, and, you know, so I've been talking about the willingness to change, but Aries also does have this, this is who I am, take it or leave it. And that energy is very powerful. It's very sovereign. It's like, I'm not going to kowtow to other people's needs and expectations. Like that's your problem, not mine. And there's a layer, there's times where that's like really wise and powerful. And there's also times when it is a personality structure in the environment that restricts relationality and feedback. And then um, there's like a blow up at some point and it's like, you thought these things, but you didn't feel safe to tell me. And it's like, well, yeah, you weren't receptive, right? So thinking about where we care to receive feedback and what relationships and what context and where it's like, yeah, that person doesn't have my best interest. They're acting like a hater. <laughs> they don't understand me. So 
there's a distance, you know, or I'm not going to take that feedback in the same way from someone that I trust, right? So those dynamics of like, that's this essential vulnerability of Aries in some sense is acting from this place of instinct and learning as you go, right? So you need to be receptive to that feedback, but also other people have their own personality structures and judgments. And so there is a discernment to be had as well about what feedback to take in and what it means. So then we'll have the sun in 24 degrees of Taurus square, Saturn in 24 degrees of Aquarius at 1149 a.m. Pacific. And instead of delineating that by its own, I'm just going to talk about the full moon eclipse, which is in 25 degrees Scorpio, May 15th, 9.14 p.m. Pacific. So the eclipse is forming a T-square with Saturn and Aquarius. And asteroid Eros is conjunct the sun and north node in Taurus. The sun is in the third decan of Taurus relating to the seven of pentacles. And the moon is in the third decan of Scorpio relating to the seven of cups. So seven of cups, okay? Like that's the card with all the... Um, like kind of different fantasies. Seven cups holding these different um, images and dreams. We have the sun and Eros and Taurus on the north node. Uranus as well, just a little bit wider of an orb, which can represent this growing emphasis on building, cultivating, and materialization. Yet it's shining a direct light, this full moon, it's full moon in Scorpio on the south node in Scorpio, which can represent what is being released, clearing, being alchemized, right? The south node, there is a releasing. There's a, a kicking things up back into the field. There's a um, almost like what, you know, the history, the memory is like kicked back up, but it's also, you know, some of it's on its way out. The way I look at it, too, is that what's being kicked up in terms of memory or in the past, when we grab onto it and weave it into reality, we're kind of renewing the lease on that karma for better or worse. You know, there can be positive things that we've inherited from the past and we want to perpetuate. There can also be patterns that we have from our past that we're trying to let go. And so when they kick back up, it's like, oh, there's that situation that I'm so tempted to react to, but I'm going to make a different choice this time. So we have choice with how we engage that field of things being kicked up. The third decan of Scorpio as depicted by Austin Coppock in 36 Faces also relates to a deep reckoning with our desire nature and the way we can be haunted by desire or loss of an object of desire until we find a deeper reconnection to desire itself and not just the temporary forms that it takes that we can become fixated on. Very difficult for Scorpio, right? Like fixed water. There is a sense of um, forming these deep bonds and it feeling like when that thing that we're bonded to, it feels like it's being ripped away from us, ripped away from our soul. It's just agonizing, right? And then finding like the full death of that particular form you know, we don't have that thing or we don't have that person in our lives anymore. Where does that desire become recycled and become something that we have access to again in new forms? 
Austin Coppock writes about this in the sense that it can take time for that process to unfold of like reclaiming that inherent desire. It's a lot of what I'm diving into with Hungry Ghosts of Paradise, by the way, I quote that section in the first chapter before, before it starts. So perhaps you've had the experience of gaining something that an earlier version of you wanted desperately only by the time it arrives late, you realize you don't want it now, and you can see through the veneer of it that it wouldn't have brought you fulfillment back then either. Right? Those kind of like, this is weird. I wanted this 10 years ago. Like, why wasn't it there then? But also it's not fulfilling now. And you can see the kind of vaporous, like fantasy quality of it. Perhaps you've also had the experience of gaining something an earlier version of you wanted. And it's healing. It's deeply meaningful to have the opportunity to merge with the fulfillment of the desire. Perhaps what is released is the shame or self-judgment that came from the disparity between the desire and the reality, right? So if there were any self-judgments that were formed by the not having or by the lack and then receiving, you know, some fulfillment of the desire and it reconstituting some sense of self-worth potentially, it's also very soulful. Like the soul doesn't care as much about time, right? Like the soul knows who it is and is kind of understanding itself through the filter of the ego wherever it's at. I was just watching an Anais Nin documentary on Amazon Prime. I forget what it's called. It was pretty short. But she writes in, in her diaries when she's 16 that she really wants like another writer to kind of support her. Like she wants the auspices of, you know, another writer. And in her adulthood, she meets Henry Miller and has this really big, you know, creative and romantic relationship with him. And she kind of prophesied it, prophesied it from her diary when she was 16. And it's that kind of energy of like the soul knowing, you know, a desire and that desire taking time to concretely manifest um, and just kind of what that feels like, like how confronting or like how telling it is about the nature of our innermost being when we receive something that we've known for years that we've wanted. It's like very magical, potentially. And then where we are releasing desire, so Scorpio south node, full moon on the south node, some release happening. Releasing these desires or fixations can feel strange and haunting, and yet it's pruning the psychic garden. It gives us opportunity for deeper clarity around what we would find fulfilling. So our desire, what we seek to move toward and merge with, is so creatively defining in our lives. I could see some discernment opening up around where we want to have specific desires so we know we really value something in particular, versus where we want to release control and be open to an energy showing up in a form beyond our imagination, right? Like people write these lists manifesting exactly what they want. And sometimes that's really exciting. And it's like, yes, I know like this, this, and this, like this is my list. And other times it's um, almost burdensome to play God in that way. Like it's like, can you just surprise me? Like, you know what I like, God. You know what my desires are. You know what turns me on. Surprise me <laughs> and have less um, control over every single detail. Um, neither one 
is objectively better than the other, but I think it's just playing with like, is it exciting to know exactly what you want and all of these details, or is it burdensome to feel like you have to figure it out? Sometimes um, being so specific and intent on particular things, um, some of the things on the list might be like, you don't really need that. Like that's just a, that's a form of a deeper thing. Like what's the deeper thing that you want? So the fable and myth of the genie who offers a, um, offers a person three wishes and the wishes come out strange and distorted feels relevant here in the sense that sometimes when we are willful about having something in particular, we can make it happen, but it feels weird when it comes out of the cosmic oven. So getting what we think we want becomes less important than coming into a deeper embodiment with a truth that lives inside of us and creating from that place. It's not about not having desire, but having a more refined relationship with it where our desires genuinely come from our souls, right? So if it's specific, but it's coming from a soul place, sure, you know, but not just the web of collective fantasies we've been taught we're supposed to want or will promise us something shiny someday. This can have us chasing things that um, are illusory, that don't actually bring fulfillment when we pin them down. Yet the connection to our actual soul desires can be just about the most humbling and spiritually transformative process in this human life. So I'm giving like some conflicting perspectives, but essentially like being curious about our desire nature and we want super specific things. Is it that thing exactly that we want or the deeper kind of symbolic essence and that's just the specific image we've been able to conjure up from our current level of understanding. And then on the other hand, when you're just in this kind of clear place and some really unique specific desire pops in, that might be totally inspired. You know, it's kind of about coming into a deeper literacy with our own desire nature so that we can um, navigate those mysterious waters with increasing just self-knowledge. Then May 17th, Mars in 24 degrees of Pisces will conjunct Neptune in 24 degrees of Pisces at 11.33 p.m. Pacific. People are going to chalk up their intense dreams to the eclipses, which could be a thing, but Mars-Neptune definitely kicks up the dream realm. Mars-Neptune contacts can relate to striking dream imagery, dream images that hit, that punch, you know, these Mars verbs. Mars-Neptune can constellate the spiritual warrior, the spiritual hero, the one who makes sacrifices. It is a very intoxicating kind of field, combining the heroic vitality of Mars with the mystical dreamer Neptune. Mars can become more boundaryless here, an active visionary having so much to give, leaning fully into life in this melty, surreal, inspired way, surfing energetically or literally, these threads can be beautiful and inspiring and also necessary to have some discernment in tow. Mars-Neptune can help us feel inspired to live more magically or to really act on the dream, and that may be just what we need. But to any degree that we're motivated by a savior complex, we run the risk of taking on more than our due and even holding reality or other people to a standard they themselves cannot hold 
and then our own disillusionment ensues. Right? So if you want to give, give freely. If you're giving with an expectation in a kind of murky way, I think that does set up disillusionment with Mars-Neptune quite potentially. So an offering for discernment, when the inspiration feels really clean and flowing and sincere, tune into that. When an inspiration feels like you are trying to reverse the direction of a flood, there may be grief to feel active surrender or deeper spiritual alignment to be had in resting or pivoting. I generally find Mars-Neptune to be very tantric. There's a play of energy in finding out how to channel it. Mars-Neptune can relate to our capacity to be in relationship with particular beings or experiences, as well as the universal. How we find balance, how we find flow. So thank you for tuning in to this forecast. Um, please let me know in the comments what resonated with you, how your week is going. If anything that I've spoken to, you know, you feel a connection with throughout the week or something occurs that you feel is really connected to these transits, I'd also love to hear about it. So feel free to come back and share in the comments. Um, yeah, I think I'll just leave it at that and wish you a magical, healing, meaningful eclipse season. Thank you for tuning in. Please like this video if you haven't already, and I'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast and you have something to say about it, I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality. This library contains several hours of content about the intersection between kind of create your reality teachings and astrology. And it includes one of my favorite talks I've ever given called Leo and the Evolution of Alternate Realities. Thank you so much for listening. Your reviews really support the growth of this podcast, as well as your word of mouth when you share this podcast with friends or post it to your stories on Instagram and tag me at Sabrina Monarch. Thank you so much. Thank you.